My name is Lalu Davies Yemitin, and you're listening to My Brother Podcast. For the breath of life is the sunlight, and the hand of life is in the wind. That was a quote by Khalil Gibran. My guest today uh, knows all too much about sunlight, the wind, and the whole world of renewable energy. Ken Cowan, thanks so much for making yourself available and joining me. First of all, it's great to see you, brother. I know I saw you not too long ago in person on your birthday, but definitely delighted to have you on as a guest today. So Ken, let's just go right into it. Why don't you start out by sharing with us a little bit about your background and sort of uh, who you are? Well, first of all, Lalu, thank you for all the great work you're doing. This is amazing. My Brother podcast. Uh, I guarantee you in a matter of months, it will be uh, all over the place because you're doing great work and and giving back, uh, which is critical to, to the things that we ought to be doing. So thank you for the work you're doing. Absolutely. Uh, for me, oh, wow, the story uh, goes back to Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, that's where I'm from, Omaha, Nebraska. So I, I grew up there um, and, uh, and loved it. I mean, Omaha was a place I really growing up, didn't think I would leave. I mean, we grew up uh, in a place uh, where uh, my best friends and my neighbors were all like family. I mean, we grew up in an area where, um, you know, predominantly most of the African-Americans of the state of Nebraska lived in North Omaha. Mm -hmm. And uh, so growing up, I, you know, my best friends were the, the kids I went to school with, went to church with, played baseball with, played basketball with. So that was just, that was all I knew. Uh, and growing up was, 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 was great. So, you know, I never thought I would leave Omaha until I came to Houston. And even then when I came to Houston, I said I was going to be here for a few years and uh, that ended up being 30 years. <laughs> so, uh, but, but growing up in, in Omaha, I obviously went, um, I have an older, uh, older brother who passed away about four, uh, four years ago. I have a younger sister. Uh, my mom and dad uh, uh, moved to Omaha from uh, from Oklahoma. Uh, they moved there to to find work. Uh, and my dad worked in the packing house, and my mom was a cook. and uh, And uh, they raised us to be focused on one uh, our faith and two uh, taking care of each other, which we did. And uh, and going up through, you know lower school or, or grade school and middle school and high school. I had did a combination of public school and private schools. Uh, started off in a public school, uh, kindergarten, first grade, then went to uh, a Catholic school that was right up the street of our, our neighborhood that really served our community. 99.9% uh, .9 of us were on free lunch and didn't know really what that meant, <laughs> but we were on, we were on free lunch. And, uh, now that I think about it, the the there were nuns obviously at the at the school it was a Catholic school, uh, but many of the teachers, it was like a program today. They call it Teach for America today. That's what we were going through. Folks uh, that lived in our neighborhood would come in to to help teach us, and, and we didn't know. And uh, I did that uh, Catholic school from pretty much first or second grade to eighth grade, and then went to public school, and then went on to University of Nebraska. Uh, at Omaha and University of Nebraska Lincoln, and moved my way back to to Houston. Got it, got it. So uh, I, I know that you don't like to hear this, but one of my references goes back to uh, regarding Omaha, Nebraska. Is actually a movie <laughs> called Belly, uh, where it just so happens we're going through this pandemic, and there's a, 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 a documentary series on the Rough Riders, which yeah. uh, DMX uh, was the perhaps the main character in that movie, Belly. And they paint this picture of Omaha, Nebraska, where it's just <laughs> backwoods, country, <laughs> black folks. So I want you to take uh, us back to uh, what your experience was yeah. like growing up in North Omaha, Nebraska, and what things were like in the Cowan household. Yeah, that that's great. I I get that all the time. So when I when I moved here to Houston, you know, that's the first question is like Nebraska, <laughs> really? Uh, but yeah, believe it or not, and it's um, our community was I, I consider it. Um, I, it was it was a safe place. Folks cared. Um, mm -hmm. People worked hard. 
Uh, we had a lot of fun. Many of the kids that I went to school with back then, I'm still friends with now. Um, the house that I grew up in uh, when my parents bought uh, in the 1950s is where my mom still lives. Um, so it's it's um, it's a it's a special place. Uh, growing up in our in our household, again, I, I have an older brother that passed, and I have a, a younger sister. My mom and dad worked hard. I mean, they they worked really hard. Um, my dad, uh, when they when they moved up to Omaha in the mid fifties, they they came from Tulsa, Oklahoma. My mom worked in um, a kind of a. Uh, they both actually met at at Tulsa Lent Tulsa Linen. It's a place where all the businesses sent their laundry. So they worked in a laundry when they were, you know, they're uh, 18 and 19 right out of high school. And um, and uh, my mom's sister moved up to Omaha and and said, hey, told my mom that they need to come up and there's work up here. So when they moved uh, to Omaha, they stayed. And uh, growing up was was great. We were we were poor, but we didn't know it at all. Uh, we didn't we had as far as I'm concerned, everything we ever dreamt. We we had a great Christmas. We ate well, but I didn't realize um, <laughs> that we were poor until I applied for college. And I I got at that time to call it Pell Grants. I, it was just I, I had no idea until I went started to go to college. But m- my mom and dad worked hard to provide for us and they provided guidance and the support um, that that needed. But they also put a lot of responsibility on us at a very young age. So we we worked because my parents worked. And so uh, we all had jobs, you know, uh, whether it's a paper route or whether it's, you know, going, cutting grass or whatever, we all worked. And it was um, work that supported us. Like we, that's the money we used to do the things that we wanted to do. And so um, I think that's where my work ethic comes from is that that you know you're expected to contribute you're expected to produce you're ex- expected to be a team and be part of this no one uh just sat around um but we 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 really were and we still are a very close family my my dad passed away uh and my parents did get divorced uh when i was a teenager but we we still stayed my dad was still a vital part of our life. My mom and my dad were still very good friends. We still went to reunions on both my mom's side and my dad's side. So it was from a family standpoint, um, my parents weren't together uh, as, as a married couple, but we were still a, a unit, mm-hmm. um, which was somewhat odd. Now you don't, you don't see that that often, but for us, it, it was, it was very helpful. Uh, but, um, Growing up was great. I mean, again, Omaha was a, a place, a great place to be raised. I I, I learned a lot uh, while I was there, but my friends are are still a big part of my, my life. Um, but I knew when I left, again, thinking that I may come back to Omaha, I realized quickly that um, I would be going back to Omaha to visit. Um, again, my mom was there. I still have great friends, but I knew when I moved to Houston, I saw some of the things um, – that I wished we had in Omaha. And, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, the black leadership that I saw when I moved to Houston. Um, I just saw that um, the opportunities were so vast uh, in Houston compared to Omaha. So um, again, I, 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 I love it. And that's where my mom's at. I still go up there often. I'm going up there in a few weeks, um, but it was, it was a, it was a, it was a special place. Yeah. Uh- you mentioned that you went to elementary school in the public setting, but then you went to a parochial school, I guess, for middle school. Yeah. Um, can you take us through what your high school experience was like after that and how you made your decision about where you were going to attend college? Yeah, Lala, that's, a, that's a great question. So um, originally in, in, in our neighborhood, all of the kids went to pretty much the same schools. There were a few elementary schools. There are a few uh, high schools that we went to. So I, I knew all of my, we all knew each other and all the schools that we went to. So my friends, we really followed each other through, uh, through school. And again, I went to a, um, a Catholic school that was, that pretty, pretty much served our community. Um, 
and it was it was great, but it really didn't prepare me well for high school. I I I was an average student. I was a a a C B student, and so I I didn't uh you know I didn't get the A's easy. And when I got an A, it, we were celebrating. That was a big deal. So I was happy to get an A, but I I I got by. Um, with C's since, simply because I don't think I was prepared um, going into high school. When I did go to high school, um, it was a uh, it's it's a, it was a fairly integrated high school. Um, you know, um, black, white, a few Hispanics, Asians, but it was um, still in the early '80s. And in my case, um, because I started off with this um, work ethic so early in my life. I didn't do. I did sports all the way through middle school, but when I got to high school, I I worked, and so after um, school, I I would go to work. Uh, I um, and I'll tell you a little bit about that. But uh, I I didn't so, do a lot of socializing with games or going to games or was an athlete. I was probably I was more of the guy that was working all the time. And uh, one thing that I will say now that I look back at my school at my time at central high school, uh, beautiful, beautiful school, right in the middle of downtown Omaha. Uh, obviously it was integrated, but there were obviously were segregated. And, and I really realized that even more so after I left. And I, there's an instance when I, I still recall when I was meeting with my counselor and I, I'll never forget this. I, I didn't quite understand it at the time, but I, I totally understand it now. Um, I was thinking about what I wanted to do after after high school. Uh, and I wanted to go to college, but that wasn't because my mom knew we needed to do either go, we needed to go to college or we needed to do something or work or whatever. It wasn't like I had someone just driving me to go to college. My, my parents wanted us to do something um, and I wanted to go to college. And I met with my counselor and uh, and and she didn't put college as an option for me. It wasn't like one of the things that, hey, you need to think about these schools. Uh, actually, she said, you know what, you need to, you know, these, this is where you need to go, Army, Navy, you know, Marines, you know. So it was really, my focus was to go into the military. And I, nothing against that because many of my friends did, and actually my son's in the military. So I, I respect, and that's an option for a lot of people, and it's an excellent option, and we need our military. Um, but that's not, I didn't get an option to do that, but I realize now that those that didn't look like me, they had the full options. And I just realize even more so now how that advice may have been given just to most of my friends that look like me. And so, um, the reason I say that is because, um, that sparked me to do more in the space of making sure our our you know our kids our our people of color understand what their options are because you think that it's clear and that it's happening in many cases it's not and i was an example of where that was the case and so i, I after getting that advice i went home and i said that's not what i want to do i don't i don't want to go to the army and i just took upon myself to applying for colleges, applying for financial aid, not knowing what that meant, getting my my parents' uh, tax returns, not knowing how to even do that, uh, applying for scholarships. Just and it wasn't because of my counselor providing that. I had to figure that out on my own, and just by the grace of God, I did. And um, I was able to get into a university. I got in University of Nebraska on a full scholarship uh, based on uh, financial need, mm -hmm. and. Um, and that and that that opened enormous doors for me that I know I would not have had if um, I didn't go that route. Yeah, you know that issue that you just mentioned—it's it's a matter of exposure, and it's such a critical element of our life's experience. I mean, the very core foundational reason for having my brother podcast—it's about exposure, right? Yeah. Exposing people. Um, not just young people who might be from um, disadvantaged backgrounds, mm -hmm. but even younger people who are early on in their careers and trying to figure things out. 
Uh, but without the right exposure, without the right influences, without the right information source, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're just operating in the dark. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's an issue that I'm deeply passionate about. And I'm glad that you brought up just the importance of exposure, which I'm sure we'll talk more about because, uh, you know, in part, you coming to Houston further that exposure. But uh, absolutely, you've got your full ride. I don't know exactly how far uh, University of Nebraska is from Omaha. <laughs> but I'm sure at the end of that summer, you make your way down. Is is Nebraska and Lincoln? Or- yeah, yeah. So I went to so I went to I went to University of Nebraska to Omaha first. Okay. So I went straight there. So I stayed in Omaha, and then in my sophomore year, I trans uh, I transferred to the University of Nebraska Lincoln. Uh, had a chance to see a, a few championships through that time. And uh, and then I ended up moving back and graduating from University of Nebraska to Omaha. So it, I did the whole University Nebraska thing between Omaha and Lincoln. Um, but again, that that scholarship, um, not knowing what it was at the time, it really just opened my door, uh, opened the door to my life in so many ways because I probably wasn't as prepared for college as I should have been. Um, but they provided me the 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 information, the tools, the the people, the mentoring, uh, the exposure. Just what you mentioned that I that I didn't have that I needed, um, and it's just you know obviously it's a it's a big thing, but it it really changes life in in a, in a huge way, generational. You you talk about generational wealth and how that's created. That's how that's created, and so it it allowed me to see. One that um, education and higher ed in this case is is one of many ways that that folks can you know create generational wealth for their families. Yeah, and and so you're absolutely right. Um, the shift in trajectory. I mean, it's almost like a fork in the road, and yeah. your decision to you know have a desire for more than what was presented before you. Yeah. Um, there's essentially, there's a quote that I, I try to think about, but it, it's something along the lines of, I want to eat at the at the table, not the scraps that were brought back yeah. into the kitchen after the yeah. meal had been consumed. So yeah. you end up at University of Nebraska in Omaha. What was the collegiate experience like and how did you settle on your major? Yeah, great, great question, Alu. So it was, uh, it was great. I mean, I, I, I loved, um, it was probably some of the best days of my life going to, um, the university of Nebraska, whether Lincoln or Omaha, but it was, it was, um, many of the friends that I met, um, especially in my, my fraternity, uh, which is Cap Alpha Psi, uh, are still my, my best friends. They're my, uh, support. Uh, they're my allies. They're my sounding boards. You call it. I still, there's, uh, four or five guys that at that time we are still literally best friends. Um, I, mean, I don't can call them friends. They're brothers of mine. Uh, so they, they're, they're still part of that. And we, we had a wonderful time and at school um, and, and just looking at majors um, it's, it's in, a, in my case, I ended up, you know, I knew I wanted to be in business and I think I wanted to do that is because during my time as a kid, um, I worked at a, uh, I, I was in a co-op program at high school called DECA. I don't know if anyone's heard that, but it, it trains you to kind of get into the, the work environment. It, it gives you a chance to kind of intern while in high school. Yeah. And that was life-changing for me because what it did is the, I worked at a, a small store in my neighborhood and, uh, and I had a chance to meet so many different people. I mean, I met so many different personalities. I mean, I just, and I, and I, you know, sold them like, you know, I, I cleaned up the store. I opened the store. I, at that time it was in my neighborhood. We had dogs. We had to, I had to feed the dog. So I did all the work that no one else, the, the adults didn't want to do. Uh, I sold candy to the kids. It was just kind of a weird job, but it taught me so much about relationships. It taught me about business because the guy was a entrepreneur. He had his own store. I, I, we had to count the money. So it just taught me a lot about, about business. And, um, and another thing about this, uh, I want to just back up to this job, is just that I worked with older men. There were like four or five older men that kind of, one, they worked there, but they also kind of hung out there. That was kind of their spot. And I mean, just listening to the conversations, um, 
I it was now that I look back at it, I that was a that was a PhD in life. Mm-hmm. And I I never knew that until I got older and so many of the things that they said and did and I go back to that. Um but anyway, that created this environment of just wanting to work with people, wanting to be in business, wanting to learn more about um, I, my my degree was in management. Uh, my undergrad was in management at University of Nebraska and my, my MBA is in finance. And so a lot of that had to do with that co-op, had to do with working at that small store. Um, and it made it easy for me to know that that's what I wanted to go into. Yeah. And so you finish your undergraduate degree um, in management. Did you transition right over to uh, go secure an MBA in finance? Or was there a, a particular route you took before going back to get your MBA? No, it was um, mine was pretty long <laughs> span between the, the undergrad and MBA. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Lolly, what ended up happening is my senior year at the University of Nebraska, I, I knew I had to find a job. Um, again, I knew I had to work. It wasn't ever, like I said, working was never an option for us. So we knew we had to do that. So I started looking for work uh, my senior year and I ended up applying for jobs literally all over, all over Omaha and then all over the U.S. I mean, I applied for jobs um, just to get my information out there and see what would stick. Um, I applied for an internship at at the time, it was a company called Internorth. It used to be Northern Natural Gas in Omaha. They changed their name to Internorth. And when I when I applied, they had an internship opening in their gas marketing group. And um, it was a long shot. I saw it in the paper. Again, this is, a, you know, a kid just trying to find work. And I'm going through the paper trying to see what I can find. And I applied. And, and uh, I just remember this day vividly. I was at home. The phone rang. And a lady by the name of Julie Gomez was on the other line. And she said, hi, I'm Julie Gomez. I want to, I saw your resume, which much, there wasn't much on it. Um, and like to see if you want to come in for an interview at Internorth. And this was a, uh, an office downtown. So working downtown was just, that in itself was awesome. Um, and I, I met with her and she, she offered me the job as an intern to, to kind of just, file papers, kind of help with supporting their marketing team. Just, I'm like, I'll take it. It was making like $6 an hour. I was ecstatic about that. And uh, what ended up happening is Internorth ended up merging with a, with Houston Natural Gas in, in Houston. And the two companies were supposed to move to Omaha as their headquarters. Well, the two companies became Enron. So H&G, Houston Natural Gas merged with Internorth and became Enron and ended up moving the headquarters to Houston. And a lot of folks in Omaha did not want to move to big city Houston. And I'm here like raising my hand. I'm ready to go. I, you know, as soon as I graduate, I'm ready to go. And, uh, and they, they created an opportunity for me to become full time. And I, I moved to Houston um, and started with Enron. And then uh, about four years after that, while I was with Enron, I, um, started on my MBA at University of St. Thomas and finance and finished it. But that's, that's kind of the story to, to getting me to Houston. And even when I took the job to Houston, I said, you know what, I'm going to stay here two years and I'm going to go back to Omaha. I'll make some money and go back to Omaha and find a job, maybe mutual of Omaha. Um, I get to, I get to Houston and I'm like, wow. I mean, it was, it was more than I ever saw in a sense of um, African-Americans in leadership position um, the, at the time, obviously I was single. So to come to Houston and see so many, um, of my people, my age, just doing amazing things. And then of course I met my wife down here. So absolutely beautiful women. And so it was one of those situations where, uh, this is, I'm not going back to Omaha in two years. (laughs) (laughs) You were, yeah. So, so that's what happened. That, that's how I kind of ended up, uh, coming to Houston and getting with Enron and starting that MBA. Yeah. So what uh, prompted the decision? Obviously, you're working for Enron at this point, but four years in, 
what was the trigger point or what happened in those first four years that led you to say four years down the line, now it's time for me to advance my education? Yeah. And, and Lolly, so when I when I started with Enron, um, again, I started as an intern and literally I had to, um, I mean, literally work m my way up and and it, doing work that I just you had. I just had to learn the business. I had to learn um, it, this was completely new to me, energy to at that level. So uh, I had some awesome mentors that that helped me along the way, um, really looking and listening and and taking in information. Um, and I even some of the jobs that I had at the time, uh, I worked in their gas scheduling group. I worked in um, a, a, a rotational shift where sometimes I had to work at night and my sleeping through the days. I knew that was not sustainable for me, but I knew I had to do that. It's not, it's not for everyone to to work nights and 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 then sleep through the day or three days on and four days off. Um, but I knew that I had to do it to learn it. But I also knew it was critical for me to get um, to get my MBA and to get it into uh, either finance or engineering or or something. Um, with some technology based or, or, you know, science based or math based side, I knew that was critical because I got my, my degrees in more business administration, you know, management marketing. So I knew I needed a STEM to me at that time. I knew I needed something on the STEM side. Um, so I, that's what made me decide that if I want to grow into this, uh, I needed to get my MBA. And I, and I, I did, it, it took me some time to finish up because during that time life happens, I, I got married, I had kids and, you know, but um, it was absolutely critical uh, for me to finish that and get that done. And again, I, um, not a, not a A student, but uh, A in effort, uh, A in relationship building, uh, A in let's set uh, clear goals and let's focus on that. You know, one quote that I remember hearing years ago, was that um, you know uh, vision uh, without action is a dream or action without vision is a nightmare. So I had to always figure out how to connect my vision with action yeah. and how to make that happen. And so it was always important to me to anything that I do, if it's a vision, what is the action that goes to that so that you can deliver, so that you can do what you wanna do, so. Yeah. So you're working at one of the world's largest corporations yeah. in Enron at that time. Uh, what were some of the practical things that were happening? Were you, you know, when you talk about you were trying to advance yourself and obviously earning an MBA can confer benefits yeah. in, in different ways, but that doesn't come for some time. How are you navigating the corporate world during those early years? Yeah, Lalu. And I, um, I go back to the job I had at this small store. And one thing that I learned from that was um, the importance of relationship building um, and the importance of being coachable. Um, again, I was around older men and I just really listened and the advice that they had given me, I, I, I took it to heart. Um, and I that, that always stayed in the back of my mind even as I progressed through jobs and careers. But when I was at Enron, um, I, I, being coachable and listening and learning was constant. It did not stop. It was I did not pause ever with with listening and learning. And so I surrounded my people. I saw the folks that were being successful, and I would um, either just watch or just you know just become aware of what they were doing, how they were doing it. Uh, over time, I had to deliver on the stuff that I needed to do. So I think over time, folks respected my work, respected my work ethic, uh, my desire to learn. Uh, they respected the product I delivered. So at the same time, it's kind of this mutual beneficial relationship where, one, you want someone to mentor you, but they also want to mentor you because of what you're doing. So it, it it's reciprocal. Um, so one thing that I think happened over time is I started to build these amazing relationships with people um, in leadership position who took a take to me and wanting to help me over time. And I listened. I, 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 I took in what I was, what they were sharing with me. I uh, learned what they were doing. Um, and it was a 
it, it catapulted my my career at Enron. And the one thing I will say about that is some of the most amazing people I worked with, even to this day, were folks there. I mean, many of them now are doing their own their own thing in, in big, big ways. Uh, and we still keep in touch. And uh, those relationships, um, they matter. Relationships matter. So you go, you obtain your MBA. What uh, impact did it have on your career? And at the time you complete the program, are you still at Enron or had you transitioned by then? Yeah, so um, it impacted my career. It made a difference because what I did, um, like I said, I started in energy. And again, I knew nothing about energy at all. This is not what I was planning to do. I, I thought I would be in banking. Um, I thought I'd be in finance somewhere. Uh, but I ended up working like the night shift. I ended up scheduling gas across uh, the U.S. And then I ended up, um, after my MBA, I ended up starting to trade. I, I, I transitioned companies from Enron to a company called Dynagy at the time. And I I um, scheduled power throughout the U.S., but eventually I, I ended up trading. I was a trader for uh, a few years. Um, would, you, would you describe what scheduling gas means yeah in layman's terms and then what what it means when you now get to the trading desk where now you're moving commodities yeah absolutely so so the way that you get gas i mean what we did was we had a 24-hour dispatch center it's like just really controlling the movement of gas or natural gas for homes for buildings for uh, cities throughout the grid throughout the u.s the same way that, um, you know, um, when you're flying a plane, you have air traffic control that controls all the flights. Everything moves and everything happens. You just know it happens and you're trusting that that's someone's doing that work. That's the same thing with natural gas. I would schedule gas to flow from from El Paso to San Diego. I would schedule gas on the pipeline to flow from, you know, uh, the Houston ship channel up to Chicago city gate. So I would schedule gas through this integrated pipeline of the systems throughout the, the, throughout the U S and I would put in the schedule that other folks would obviously dispatch, but I would be the one that would provide the, the schedule, you know, how much flows from point A to point B. So I did a lot of the, the, the paperwork that would dictate what would flow through the pipeline. So we, we call that gas scheduling. And it still happens today. Uh, that's just how we how how it was done back then, and it's how it's done now. And then trading, uh, which is what folks typically would see, like on the New York Stock Exchange, but it's a little different because trading a commodity back at the time I did it was I was trading power. So I was I was buying and selling um, power uh, to utilities to uh, across the U.S. So the the the, the grid is the, the power system throughout the US. I would talk to dispatching, whether it's at the time Houston Power and Light or um, uh, you know El, El Paso or San Diego Gas and Electric or you know New York Power Authority. So we would talk to these various entities to schedule power through the grid to serve power to these various utilities. And so we would buy and sell, we would uh, take positions, long-term positions, hedge positions. Uh, we would uh, go long, go short, and, uh, and necessarily kind of bet on where we think the market's going to go and flip out of those positions. So that was, is, that was truly a finance role that my MBA helped create the opportunity for me to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have the fortune of being someone who has some uh, familiarity with that business, but I'm sure our listeners are probably going through and saying, hold on, flip, go long, go short. But <laughs> it's how it all of you energy people create value for your companies it, and, and have good lives and careers. So it's a huge market and it's a, it is it was a lot of fun. Um and I think again, like you said, what did my degree how how did my MBA help me with that? It it helped me because of the hedging techniques risk risk profiles uh you know just understanding kind of the the many of the techniques that i use as a as a trader and so uh i did that for a few years uh at, at dynagy and again when i worked at 
uh, Enron and Dynajet, I really made my my uh, circuit around some of the larger energy companies um, in the U.S. And each time I kind of transitioned through these companies, I ended up um, one growing in more responsibility. So uh, what I did from trading, I start to go into it's a group called Origination. And what we did in the origination side of of energy is I I crafted um, energy solutions. And so energy solutions for large industrial customers, energy solutions for um, either cities or or universities or hospital districts who are looking to um, do sustainability. They're looking at energy efficiency. They're looking at infrastructure upgrades so that they, they have, you know, they may have a plant that uh, uh, their equipment is, is maturing and they need to deploy capital to update that uh, equipment so it's more efficiently run. You have folks who are looking for transitioning from coal to wind or coal to solar. So I gravitated towards origination and creating the optimal energy package, you can say, for these types of customers. And so that's kind of what I'm doing now is I transition from, you know, real t- intern to, you know, scheduling gas to trading to origination and now crafting these um, unique energy structures for Fortune uh, 1000 companies now. Got it. So when you're you're at your Dynegy at this point, you're trading. How did you pivot and move sort of through this suite of companies as you described? I mean, I don't presume, you know, people just came looking for you and say, hey, Ken, here's the next position. But what were the things that contributed to that? And, And how did you make the decisions about, okay, this is an appropriate move to make at yeah. this time. Yeah. Um, no, uh, Lala, that's that's a great question. I I think one thing that I I always tried to pride myself in is the work that I that I did wherever I was at. So um, one thing is I I, I always worked hard, um, and I always tried to produce um, at a level that that people won would appreciate and respect. And over time you start to build relationships and people start to know who you are. And so um, I always go back to relationships matter. So every relationship, every contact, every interaction to me, I took seriously. I I valued my, my meetings, uh, whether it's a casual conversation or lunch. um, I value that time and I made it important and made the person felt that, that they were important. So, so, over time, you do that and it's natural for you. So it has to be authentic. If it's natural for you, you start, people start to um, take interest in you. They start to, to really see what you're doing. So when it came time to make a transition, many of the times I was looking for a job, many of the times that these opportunities came, I wasn't looking for a job. It was the opportunity presented them, presented itself because of the relationship that I had or the, or the work that I had done with that that company. And so um, I, and I say that because it's so important for folks to understand that there's a huge circle of folks who are watching what you do. You may not know it uh, until it's time for a job opportunity or a reference or whatever, but so many times folks um, who you least expect are watching how you react to the very difficult situations, how you deliver under challenges, how you deliver in chaos, how you work with others, how you interact with others, how do you work as a team, all of that stuff that people always say matters uh, does. And, and many people who around your circle may not say anything at the time, but they take note of that. So when an opportunity comes, they're going to say, you know what, I, I, I have your person. And that's what happened. So every opportunity that came was one where um, someone knew me uh, or I knew them or they came and said, hey, I, I hear of an opportunity for you. And it's, that's been a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. So after Dynagy, what company did you go to? And what were some of the subsequent steps uh, along the way? And was there a, a a moment or a position that finally made you feel like, oh, wow, 
I'm really uh, making the kind of advancement in my career that uh, that can kind of yield this long-term uh, growth and positioning that you desire. Yeah. So Lalo, after after Dynagy, um, I went to a company called Constellation Energy out of Baltimore. It's like a, uh, I mean, major utility in the Baltimore area. Um, and I, I, I worked there again at that time. It was doing, again, more of the structuring of mm -hmm. energy products. So it was, uh, I traveled quite a bit at that time and that was necessary. And it was a learning experience. I think what I had to learn there is that sometimes you get, you got to leave where you are and, and get on the road. And so I traveled quite a bit uh, with Constellation. Um, but I think the job that really, um, I think really, I think made a change for me. And I think my career um, trajectory really went off was uh, with, with PSEG, which is utility in New Jersey. Um, I, I worked uh, for PSEG for about two years, but I had to commute. I had to work uh, in, in Newark. So I would leave home uh, on Monday and I would work there until Thursday. And I did that for probably about a year. And I did that over the winter months and winters in New Jersey. Uh, I thought winters in Nebraska were pretty bad, but New Jersey uh, were tough. And so I, and I, you know, living out of an apartment, um, my family is here. It was just a tough time. My kids were at an age where I really wanted to be there. Uh, but the experience that I got out of that job and, and the, um, because I had the time to do it, because I was there, my family wasn't there. I really spent a lot and put a lot into relationships. I put a lot into study. I put a lot into learning. I put a lot into um, creativity and innovation as related to what I had to do. Um, and then I moved back to Houston where they created an office for me here to lead our Texas um, PSEG initiative. And then they ended up selling part of that portfolio. And that's where I ended up after that uh, going over to NRG, which is the old reliant um, company for those that have been here a while, but NRG. And that's where um, I transitioned from NRG to NG, which um, is where I'm at now. Yeah. So what did you do at NRG during that period? And what do you do now at NG in your role? Yeah. Um, so at, at NRG, it's, it started off as, again, I, I kind of transitioned to this origination function, uh, creating um, anything related to energy, trying to piece those pieces together for the client. So NRG started what they called a solutions team. And this solutions team, I was a part of the sales team. So I would uh, work with, you know, again, most of the household brands that you have in your house or, you know, um, any Fortune 1000 company, they're looking for energy, they're looking for sustainability, looking for renewables. So I would create that for those companies. I, I, I was I was in sales. I would go to these clients, talk to their senior level folks, uh, whether it's a CFO or CEO or senior vice president of facilities or uh, chief sustainability officer and explore, create, innovate on what it is that they're looking to do to meet their energy goals to meet their sustainability goals. So we would have that conversation, create the roadmap, and then deliver on those products. So if they want wind, we would we had wind developers. If they wanted solar, we had solar developers. We had, if they wanted electricity, commodity, we would deliver commodity energy to them. If they wanted on-site generation, combined heat and power plants, that, that, that in the event their power were, went down, they have the ability to, to um, keep the lights on. So, um, I did that for as in a sales role for NRG for about a year, and then I ended up leading that sales team for about uh, two years. And uh, and what I did there is I had a sales team, and that's what we did. I mean, I had a, sell, a high caliber sales team that focused on on selling these unique uh, products to clients. And when you look at the capex associated with that, or the capital, the dollars that go into these type of projects you're looking at 50, 100, 200 million dollars. So that's the type of deals that that are getting done. Um, and so with with NRG, it was going great. I was very comfortable, um, loved the job, loved the people, didn't see anything happening with me leaving. And uh, a recruiter called me and said, hey, you know what, Ken, I got this opportunity at NG. 
um, you got to look at it. And I just literally said, there's no way. I mean, things are perfect for me. There's no, why should I go anywhere? He said, Ken, you got to, you got to just take just you got to talk to the guys. And I, I, to this day, I still said, you know, I, I felt so comfortable to where I didn't want to put that foot out. And I'm so glad I put the foot out. It was nothing at all wrong with NRG. It's just that it was a great gig for me and I didn't need to look. Um, obviously, fast forward, I, <laughs> I met with the NG folks and I was just blown away. I was literally blown away. I mean, it's 170,000 employees in 70 countries. Um, and they do absolutely everything plus what I wanted to do. And they wanted me to come over to lead their sale. They were doing a startup uh, within a, within a, you know, a, a company this large headquartered out of Paris to do a startup. So I'm doing really, I'm starting, I'm doing a startup within this multi-billion dollar company. Um, and they're giving me everything that I need to do it. They're giving me the people, they're giving me the capital, they're giving me the support, they're giving me um, the roadmap, and I just got to build the team and deliver. And uh, and I, I and I said I'm I'm sold. I'm 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 a transition, and that's what I that's what I do now. I lead a sales team of folks that um, for North America that that uh, sells these integrated solutions to Fortune 1000 companies. So, Ken, at that phase in your career, um, you're at sort of a you're in a good place, right? Yeah. Things are working well in NRG. You're also getting a bit more advanced in your career uh, and to take on um, a new role uh, with. Yeah, it's it, it is a startup, notwithstanding the fact you have this behemoth <laughs> behind you. But there's some inherent risk. I mean, oh, yeah, guys at NG and think, hey, it sounds great, but it's still a decision to step out of the comfort zone. So what continues to drive and motivate that decision as opposed to saying, look, I'm at NRG, I figure if I do another X number of years, I've got these promotions in line and I can do whatever my number is and ride off to the sunset. Yeah, that that's exactly where it was. I mean, it was um, as I think back during that time, it was probably one of the hardest decisions I had to make because of the fact that I was very comfortable with where I was. And that's one thing that I would definitely say to folks. Sometimes you got to, you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, And I, and if your personality is, you know, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. um, You got to challenge yourself. Sometimes you got to, you got to take some calculated risk. Okay. And what I did is I just really thought through. I mean, I, I, I did the list, pros and cons. And I also um, spent some time with, with people I trust and, and said, you know, hey, what do you think? You know, what, what do you, what? it was amazing because everyone I talked to was like, Ken, what are you talking about? This? Go. What, what's, what are you, why? Why are you? But believe it or not, sometimes we're, sometimes we feel that, okay, can I do it? Um, is this really going to last? Um, you know, I, I, I know what I have here. And it took a lot. Like I said, my own analysis. It took me talking to folks that I trust who have been successful in what they've done to, to also give me some guidance. And, and believe it or not, after I had those conversations, um, I just I'm like, well, yeah, you're, it just it makes sense. Now that I look back at it now, I'm like, why did I make the decision sooner? Again, nothing against that. It was just that, you know, sometimes you're comfortable with where you are and you get opportunities in life that um, present themselves, but you're, we're just reluctant because we're not, we're risk averse. We don't want to take the risk. I know what I have, even knowing what you have is a risk. Okay. Uh, so you just have to you start to look at that, but that was the the relationships, the mentors, the the folks that I had to give sound advice were folks that that helped me with that decision. Having been in the energy industry for so long, um, you know, it's funny when you're talking about, you know, perhaps in the '90s when companies were looking to switch, perhaps some coal to natural gas, yeah. 
And now we're in this new era where, you know, solar is almost becoming a thing of the past. It's like, how much more can we do with solar? Because now it's like, yeah. oh, we put solar here and wind. Yeah. Uh, and then we're talking about battery storage capacity. Yeah. And yeah. NGL, all of these okay. things are happening where we're, you know, sort of moving into this new era where continuous innovation. Yeah. It's sort of become the standard. What what's your long term view of the industry? And you know, in a sense, if you were, there's a different question I want to ask about that. But how should a young person view the energy industry today? Yeah, I I think, um, Lalu, it's you know to me, um, the energy space now is the place I'm seeing so many young people wanting to be in. I mean, I, I, I hire folks, I'm interviewing people we're recruiting and I, 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 for one job, I'll get 200, 300 resumes, um, sustainability, renewable energy, hydrogen. I mean, it's continually get it. And the, uh, what's happening, what's driving this is that you have, um, students now, who are passionate about saving the earth. I mean, it's not like, hey, I, this is, you know, I, I, I want to do this or it's something I want to try. This is what they believe. They'll do this for free, okay? I go to universities. We've done some deals with some major universities. I'm on campus. They're driving the schools and the university's sustainability plan. They're demanding that they sell off coal assets. And these are billion-dollar decisions that we made, and students are driving this. So, so one thing I see is that our our students now are fully aware of the energy space, and they're 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 passionate about it because they believe in it, and they want to see a, a greener future. And so, um, one way to 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 be involved in this is now back in when I was in school, they didn't have anything about renewable energy classes or sustainability classes or, or looking at hydrogen energy or looking at, you know, uh, you know, trading various commodities in a sense that we're doing it now, but now they do. These are classes kids can take. There's tools, platforms that they can learn. Um, there's reg even on the regulatory side, whether it's on the finance side, the marketing side, the regulatory side, there's a space regarding energy in so many different ways now. And I think the one thing that um, folks may want to consider is just really just this classes that are being taught. I mean, there's there's seminars, there's webinars. And the, the thing that I see now is that because it's so competitive that it's good to know folks in the space or in the industry. I mean, there's um, uh, American Association of Black Engineers, Abe, which is a great organization to get kids, uh, you know, whether high school or college, into engineering energy professions. So there's a lot of sources out there to help folks do that. But another thing is just find out folks who are in it and say, hey, I want to learn more. Yeah. So if Ken Cowan had a magic wand, we talked earlier about the importance of exposure. And as we're having this exchange, my wife, uh, whom you know runs a yeah. STEM organization. Yeah. One uh, been in the STEM space, really as an advocate and a leader for nearly two decades. And one big issue, uh, almost an intransigent issue, continues to be the lack of exposure. Yeah. So if Cowan had a magic wand, yeah. how would we help more young, in this case, uh, specifically black yeah. uh, uh, kids uh, get exposure to STEM at an early age, and then exposure to the energy space is another sort of yeah. thing that we we're similarly disconnected from. Yeah. Right? We yeah. all drive cars, we all consume energy in various ways, but a lot of these conversations around sustainability aren't being had by young twenty-something-year-olds who look yeah. like mine. Yeah, folks yeah. who come from a different background. So. Yeah. If you had it in your power, or what are just some practical ways that you think that could be addressed? Yeah, Lalu, that um, that's it. I mean, that's I, I, you're right. I, I I wish I had the the magic wand. I don't, but I tell you what I what I what I'm planning to do. Well, let me just say this: if I had the magic wand, I'll I'll tell you that, and then I'll tell you what I want to do. But I, I wish there were 
um, a way for one is this podcast is a, a great. Ex- I, I hope folks are seeing all that you're doing because it exposes folks to so much in, 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 in a great way. But I think this is just for folks to hear what's out there, what the stories are that that, you know, folks just didn't happen to get into this to whatever their expertise is. It didn't happen overnight. It The stories are vast and probably the most unlikely person to be in the positions that they are, are them. I mean, there's absolutely no way I could have scripted this. Um, but I just, I, I just took a liking to energy and people kind of showed me the way to get there. And I just, I just wanted to learn. And so if I had a magic wand to kind of say, Hey, this is what we need to do is I, I wish there were more um, formal or more opportunities for folks to see kind of what what we're doing so that they could learn that. I wish there were more opportunities to where we could make energy sexy, you know, because folks want to do all the, and no one thinks that, why, what is any, is there money even in that? I mean, what, what do you do solar? What are you talking about? When, it's amazing. It, it's a great opportunity. Uh, constantly innovative, constantly create uh, creativity in the space. Uh, careers from legal to marketing to engineering to finance to accounting—you name it—it's all across the board. But I don't—I don't think people think of energy as wow. That's what I want to do. Um, we got to educate our our people to see that this is. This is a space that um, that's that's growing, and 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 it's a space that um, really, if you one want a, a career that's that really can challenge you, and two, you really really want to make a difference, and that's important to you, and that's important is that's critical is that this really has to mean something to you, then um, then we need to create. And I need. I wish I had that magic wand to create that environment. Um, but one thing that I am doing um, is is starting to do more mentoring, starting to uh, bring in. Um, I'm in a position to bring in interns to have work for me, and I've I've done that. Um, and those that have come has said, "Wow, I never knew this was energy. I never knew." I mean, you have some of the brightest people in the world uh, with NG. You have people working uh, from around the world, and they're they're doing big big deals that change. Um, the entire culture climate of their, you know, their companies, their universities, their hospital campuses. And, um, you know, I, so that's one thing that I, I want to do is, is start doing more of that. If, um, if Ken Cowan could go back and talk to a 20 or 30 year old version of Ken, what oh. advice would you offer? Wow. You know what? Um, I think what I did, um, like I said, I, I wasn't um, the A student. Um, I was kind of an average student along the way. And eventually I, I, I got through that phase where I felt I didn't have to be the smartest one in the class. But I think that if someone, for for the person that's 20 or 30 or like me, is that... Um, you don't have to be the you don't have to be the A student. I mean, are you are you passionate about what you do? Do you love what you do? Do you do you do what you do with integrity, with passion, with with um, excitement? Are you do, do you like to work with others, and do others like to work with you? Are you are you coachable? Are you likable? Um, are you willing to learn? Um, are you willing to be flexible? Uh, are you willing to to roll your sleeves up and do whatever it takes to get the job done? There are some qualities that make up quickly for the the classroom work, and mm-hmm. and I wish I had known that sooner because I was kind of stuck mm-hmm. on you know you got to be the the A you got to you got to do well academically, but I quickly realized through other people that you know what, um, focus on something you love. I mean, put, put, put your, you know, put all that you have into it, be coachable, you know, be in a position where people want to work with you, where people want to help you. And then when they do want to help you be on time, 
you know, if they call you, call them back. If they send you an email, respond back. So um, a lot of those things, I didn't understand how, you know, I, I didn't go into this, but I remember when I first started uh, in the intern position at um, Enron, it was the first kind of corporate job I had. And I was showing up, you know, 10 to 15 minutes late, you know, my lunch breaks were a little longer. Someone pulled me over to the side and said, listen, um, to say she's still a good friend of mine. She pulled me over to the side and said, you know what? You can't do that. You, you're going to be out of here next week if you continue to come in late. I I never was late again. I, I never was late. I was early from that time on. But one, I had to be coachable. I had to learn that. Um, but but anyway, the, the, the go back to if I had to tell myself 20 years ago, I, those are some of the things that I would do earlier uh, because I got caught up thinking that I had to be this way and realize, you know what, there's so many other things that are so important um, that you could focus on. Yeah. If um, you, you talked about mentors, you had some early on, how do you continue to attract mentors as you move through your career? Yeah. Um, Lalo, I still, uh, to this day, I still have mentors. Um, and it's, I think that's a vital part of just um, continuing to grow and to learn and to um, be a better version of yourself is to be around folks that you could um, constantly get feedback, honest feedback and guidance on. And so I, I still, um, and, and I think it goes back to you, people want, you want, you want, you want to be a mentor, but you want people to mentor you. And that's an important part of it because some, so many times you're, you're being approached to be a mentor, but you're kind of saying, well, do I really want to mentor this person? Is this, do they have the drive? Do they have the passion? Are they, are they really open to learning? Are they, I go back to coachable. Are they really coachable? And even this part is where I'm at in my career. I'm, I'm very humble and say, I don't know it all. I, I want to learn more. Um, so I still, uh, I've reached out to people that I admire. I've, I've seen their work. I've seen their, uh, um, the, their character. I see how, the, um, how they command a room, how they care, um, how they are passionate about what they do. And I just say, hey, can we grab lunch? Um, how about we set up a meeting once a month and we grab breakfast and let's talk? Um, and that's in the public side. I do it in the in the um, private side as well with friends, you know, who are, you know, with families like we're empty nester right now. So how do you balance, you know, being an empty nester and you're doing it so well? So mentoring goes in different aspects of your life. It's public, private. It may be a couple of guys getting together talking about opportunity, business opportunities. Iron sharpens iron. So I really look at mentoring and in almost all corners and aspects of my life. Yeah, yeah. So what's next on the horizon or what, what if I might say, what's your, what's that big picture for you and yeah. any closing remarks you might want to offer? No, uh, Lalu, thanks a lot uh, for this. I, I think that um, it's ironic that I'm, um, you know, where I'm at in my career is probably the most fun I'm having now. So it's, it's one of those deals where you're doing something you absolutely love. It's like, wow, this is, this is great. So really continue to do what I'm doing, but do so uh, in, a, in uh, a more open way. I'm, I'm really doing more to try to bring in folks that um, are people of color, African-American boys and girls to learn more about what I do. Uh, so I'm spending a lot more time on that now. Um, the other thing, I, I, I'm getting more involved in boards right now. So I'm looking at that is an opportunity. Education to me is really, really important. So um, I'm uh, obviously I'm involved with um, a, a independent school board, but I'm looking also at some uh, schools in uh, in Third Ward to to help and support uh, on that side. So I'm I'm really starting to focus more on on leveraging my experiences with with kids through uh, strategic planning and boards, um, but also just really. Um, like this, just sharing what what I'm doing and how it's done so that I can help others because so much of my life is because of what all of my life is because obviously the grace of God, but also putting the right people in play to shepherd me through. And and I, I there's absolutely 
it's mandatory that I do that and give back and do it authentically, honestly, sincerely. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible, man. This has been uh, an absolute delight. Uh, yeah. You've talked about early on the importance of exposure for, for you, which uh, to a great degree happened through that store that you worked uh, at through the co-op program, which in those co-op programs, unfortunately have been taken out of schools yeah. uh, and it was something that we had in Houston, uh, but somewhere down the line, perhaps we can get yeah. back. To that. Uh, but through those lessons, you've talked about the importance of building relationships, uh, build, being willing to listen and to learn, yeah. uh, being someone who you know approaches things with a strong work ethic and work with integrity, and being coachable. My yeah. guest today has been Ken Cowan. My name is Lalu Davis Yamatin, and you've been listening to my brother podcast. So